Good morning, church. Before I get started, I want to thank you for something very special. As you know, I did Mark's memorial this weekend, or this week. His roommate met me after the service and said this church played a very big part in Mark coming back to the Lord. And then Mark went home to be with the Lord, and he had been serving the Lord for several months. Been sober, been in church, the church he grew up in. Several of those kids he grew up with were at the service and gave testimony about what Mark had become. You never know, church, when you're going to impact a life. And how when you impact one life, it impacts many. And I'm so grateful for this church. I'm grateful, as Melanie said, to look out and see your faces this morning. You actually look like you've been with Jesus. And that's a good thing. Now, I stand before you today perfect. And I've heard people say there's no such thing as perfect. We're going to see this week and next. There is a such thing as perfect. Hebrews mentions it, I think, 13 times, maybe 15. I forget it off the top of my head. The word perfect. And somewhere in all this teaching the next two weeks, you and I are brought into the picture. Isn't it nice to know that God brings us into his word? His word, now listen, his word is not only about him. It's about us too. It's not only about him being in heaven. It's about us being there too. It's not only about him resurrecting. It's about us resurrecting too. It's not only about him dying. It's about us dying too. So when we look at the scriptures, it amazes me to know as I look through the word of God, I can find myself planted within the scriptures. And when we read the scriptures that way, they become even more alive than they already are. They become more personal and more life-changing. And so we're going to look at several of the instances in Hebrews today. This is still part of our introduction. And for the next, believe it or not, I think four weeks, we're going to be in, in the introduction to Hebrews. Uh, and I hope you're getting a good appetite and your mouth is getting water and for this verse-by-verse thing we're going to do. But in Hebrews 2.10, it said, It became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So much for the philosophy that we shouldn't suffer. Suffering purifies. And as much as we hate to think about that, it's true. The resurrection was God's exclamation point on perfection. You didn't know God had an exclamation point, did you? How many of you ever used exclamation point when you're trying to proclaim something and make sure everybody takes note? That's what the resurrection did. 
The resurrection was God's way of telling us, you better take note. <laughs> Death is not the end. The Bible says in Luke chapter 13, verse 32, he said unto them, go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. I thought Jesus was already perfect. But Jesus had flesh. And now I'm going to say something that is going to shock you. His flesh was human. His flesh felt pain. His fame, he, his, he felt the hurt of rejection. You say, wait a minute, he never sinned. No, but I did, and he carried my sin. The Bible said he became sin for me, for us. So the resurrection is God's exclamation point on perfection, and suffering precedes glory. You know what, you know what precede means, right? Comes before. How many of you know we're going to be glorified? We're going to be glorified just as Jesus is glorified. But how many of you now realize something? Before the glorification comes suffering. You say, preacher, I didn't sign up for that. Hey, listen, the second you were born, you were signed up for that. Luke 24, 26, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and then to enter into his glory? There is a teaching going around out here that as a believer, everything's hunky-dory. Everything is good and everything is, is, is comfortable. That's why a lot of preachers don't preach on sin, by the way. Preaching on sin makes uncomfortable people. But I'm going to tell you something. Before you can get right, you got to be uncomfortable. If sin never made us uncomfortable, we'd never come back to repentance. We'd continue to live in sin. Luke chapter 24, verse 46, he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now, Jesus suffered, I think, in ways that I will not suffer. First of all, he was not guilty of anything. And I'm guilty of everything. He lived a sinless life, and I have lived a sinful life. Yet, the sinless one suffered. And whose body are we? Were his body. Did his body suffer? So what makes us think that we won't? Suffering leads to completion. To completion. In John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. 
he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now listen, you and I are in a state of suffering. We get our feelings hurt. Come on. We feel the pain of rejection. We feel physical pain. We feel loneliness. Do you know Jesus felt loneliness? The Son of God felt lonely. Go to the garden. Go to the cross when he said to the Father, Why have you forsaken me? But the suffering will come to an end. And it comes to an end when this life ceases. Until death comes, suffering is present. And you know the thing about suffering? It'll hit you when you're not even expecting it. You'll be feeling great one day, and the next day, you'll be down sick. You'll be, you'll be having a great day with a friend or a family member, and the next day they're gone. Suffering comes unexpected. But yet it should be expected in this life that we live. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, another perfect. Being made perfect... He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. That's an unusual word here, obey him. Now, how many of you obey Jesus every day? Any of you just, don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Any of you disobedient this week? <laughs> he says he's the author of eternal life, Eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. That word obey could be translated follow. That follow him, that, that have done what's required to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the author of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despite the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, look, he's the author and finisher. Jesus and Jesus alone can save you. And we're going to see, if we get far enough today, where it's his faith you say, well, preacher, it's my faith. No, it's his faith imparted to you. And we'll see that, right? Do you know that you, without the power of the Holy Spirit of God drawing you, you could never muster enough faith to believe that what God has done? Think about it. Why is evolution so popular today? Because man cannot comprehend nothing all of a sudden becoming something. Human mind can't comprehend that. But when a person comes to Christ, they are given a 
an ability that the unsaved do, do not have to understand the things of God. That's why when you talk about, or when this preacher talks about the world only being six to 7,000 years old, people look at you like you're an idiot because they can't comprehend that. They, they, they have the idea that it's millions and millions of years old. Where do we get the fact that it's only 7,000 years old? From the Word of God. It doesn't make sense in the eyes of man. And here's one of the things about evolution that, 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 that they can't comprehend, that, we can't, that, that, that they don't understand. Have you ever seen a man turn into anything but a man? And here's, here's what evolution says. It takes millions of years to transition from one species to another. And, and that's the only way it can make sense to them. I've never seen a half monkey, half man. I've never seen one translating from one to another. And so by faith that's been given to us by Christ, we understand how the worlds were formed. They were formed by God. We understand how man was created. It was done by God. People often ask me, preacher, is cremation uh, a, a sin? Is it wrong? Hey, uh, what's, what's creation? What does cremation produce? The same thing we were created with. And I've had people ask, well, how's God going to resurrect all that? Well, now listen, if God was smart enough to take some dust and make me and breathe breath into my life, I think he's smart enough to figure out how to collect the dust and bring it back together again. I think sometimes we lose track and we get sidelined on some things that, that there's no biblical reason for. He's the author of our faith. He is the beginning and the end of all we have. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and was and which is to come, the Almighty. He always has been, always will be. And everything you have is from him. Everything. Your breath is from him. Your joy is from him. Hey, your personality is from him. I think we need to be careful about some things. Sometimes we look at somebody's personality and we say, we need to change their personality. No. A personality is something that's God-given. We might have to help them change an attitude. Have you ever had a bad attitude about something? We were coming home. When did we come on Friday? And uh, I was driving. And one of the things I like to do when I'm driving is keep up with the flow. Keep up with the flow, right, Terry? Keep up with the flow. Don't want to block traffic. I said to Melanie and Wanda, I said, wow, the flow of this traffic is 85 mile an hour. And my wife says, what did you say Sunday? I said, I said, that preacher didn't know what he was talking about Sunday. Guess what I did? 
Slow down. Listen, God has given you everything you have. He is the first, the last, and everything in between. Your salvation is based on Jesus. It began with Jesus. It's going to end with Jesus and everything in between. He makes all men who come to him perfect regardless of their past. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captive, captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth with benefits. Even the God of our salvation, Sheila, he that is our God is the God of salvation, and unto God the Lord belongs the issues from death. I like the part, he is sending on high for the rebellious. Do you know what rejection of God's word is? Rebellion. Have you ever, as a Christian, violated God's word? Aren't you glad God died for the rebellious? Aren't you glad he's taken a rebellious and made us perfect? Now, we're not perfect in behavior. We're perfect in the sense that we have been completed in Christ. We have been made perfect in the eyes of the Father. Because we're not going to heaven because of who we are. We're going to heaven because of whose we are. And we're not going to heaven because of our own righteousness. We're going to heaven because God the Father has credited our account with his son's righteousness. And we have been made righteous. We've been made perfect in Christ. You are going to sin. Deal with it. And when you do, don't go beating your head against a concrete wall. Oh, woe is me. Confess it and move forward. Don't dwell upon it. Because by dwelling upon it, you will continue in it. You, you, you come to that realization that you've been made perfect in Christ. And you confess that to the Father and you move on. And don't let somebody come alongside of you and try to convince you that you must not be a believer because you did such and such. Believers do all kind of weird things. I mean, I mean, think of some of the weird things we do in Wilmington. We yell at the driver in front of us who doesn't even know that we're yelling at him. We get mad at the person in the checkout line that doesn't even know we're holding our temper. Come on. These are sins. See, we think of sins being what everybody else does. We come to church and we sit down and say, bless me if you can. You know, when you come to church, you ought to be blessed just by the fact that you can get up and come in. Just be blessed you can get up and come in. Every single time I get to come and preach, I'm thankful. I, I, I thank God for it. 
Not everybody does, but I do. Now look, he loads us up with benefits, blessings. Think about it for a moment, all the things God's loaded you up with. We were coming home, I guess, Friday, and, and uh, I guess it was Thursday night on the way back. Melanie says, look how beautiful that sky is. These are benefits. So are these. You say, man made the glasses. God gave him the wisdom. That oxygen thing over there is a benefit. For the life of me, I don't understand how that thing works, but I know when I have it on, I breathe better. But here's the funny thing. When I'm talking, I don't need it. When I'm preaching, I'm fine without it. The minute I'm done preaching, guess what? I need it. <laughs> See, God's loaded us up with so many things. <laughs> Tim, Tim, I'm glad he's here this morning because he had a, a, a three-day photography job. It was quite entailed and quite long. That's a benefit. Many of you are going to get up and go to work in the morning. Where did the job come from? God has loaded us up. Listen, you know what, God? God loads the unsaved up with benefits. He gives them the same air to breathe that we have. He lets them see the same sunrise that we see and the same sunsets that we see. Do you know right now, this is the time of year here in Wilmington. You come riding down Market Street from Hampstead about 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night, you'll see some of the most beautiful skies. That's a benefit. It's a benefit. He is the one, the only one in true God. The only one in true God. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Amen. You know what God's saying here? <laughs> I'm everything. I'm life, I'm breath, I'm death. I hold it all in my hands. Isn't it amazing that when God designed the world, he had you in mind? Do you guys see any leaves changing while you're gone this time? Isn't it, isn't it great how God uh, gives you a beautiful picture of his artwork this time of year? Amen. Only God can do that. I, I, mean, I mean, think about it. We look at the tree and say, man, it's dead. No, it's dormant. It, it, it's just resting. Then it's kind of like when you go to bed at night, you're not dead. Amen. You might be dead to the world, but you're not dead. You're resting. Isn't it amazing that only God, my God, the God that I serve did all that. The gods that other people serve can't do any of that. In fact, the gods that everybody else serves are dead. 
or they're made up. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 9, and i sorry about those slides. I don't get to see them on the big screen before I make them. They look good on the computer, but looks like they might be a little hard to read, some of them. Uh, no, they're not? Okay. <clears throat> yeah, they are. Yeah, the, that white on blue is just not coming through, is it? The law made nothing perfect, but bringeth in a better hope, uh, bringing in a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Now, I am so glad. We talked about this last week. I am not going to be judged on the old. Jesus alone is my justification. He alone is my. The only justification I have when I stand before the Father is Jesus. I have no other justification. There's no other reason he should let me in. Man cannot justify himself. Look at Acts 13, 39. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. What law, what law did Moses deliver? Come on. Ten Commandments. We're told in Acts that they cannot justify. There had to be something better. You see, the law is imperfect. And it can only condemn. Our justification is based on something better that is perfect. And there is no need to improve. The law was never intended to bring justification, ever. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So, I'm trying to teach you some things. The Old Testament law, and we're going to see that in, in, in just a moment. The Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets pointed to that which was coming pointed to the coming perfect one. And we need to understand that the prophets and the Old Testament law were not complete in themselves. They were a means to point us in a direction. And that direction was who? Jesus. Now, Jesus did what the law could never do. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak, through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Everybody on planet Earth who's not saved is condemned. Condemned. 
everyone. Everyone on planet Earth who has been born again, the condemnation has been removed. Let's remember that, church. We see a fellow believer struggling. We do not have a right to be condemning toward them. We need to reach out a hand of fellowship to them and try to nurse them back to health. Now, there's a procedure to go through to do that. Many, 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 I believe, a young Christian has fallen by the wayside because of pious saints. Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith, look at this, the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, let's, let's look at this. And you'll understand if we don't get a whole lot into the rest of this, but I think this is important. It is not my faith that's going to produce my justification. It is his faith in the fact that I've put my trust in him that's going to produce my justification. My faith at best is weak. I still struggle sometimes believing God can meet the needs. I still struggle sometimes to believe that God can provide the transportation. Am I the only one that does that? If I'm not careful, I still find myself struggling that God's going to maybe not provide the food that we need. There'll come a day, by the way, when God will not provide food people needs. We've been kind of studying that in uh, the men's class. But his faith never weakens. He has total faith in what he did at Calvary to be sufficient for me too. And when I place my trust in what he had done, now hear this, I was given his faith. My problem is, I often try to substitute my faith for his. And I have to come back to the fact that I belong to him. And he is the sustainer. He is the one who justifies. He is the one that keeps. He's the one that glorifies. The purpose of the law was to point us to Jesus, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. I've already talked about that when I said the Old Testament law and the prophets pointed, they led us to Christ. He indeed is our only hope in Hebrews 7, 8, 6, 18, two immutable things but in which it was impossible for God to lie that, well, that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for, for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Hebrews 8, 6, now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better 
covenant. We talked about that last week, which was established upon better promises. Aren't you glad God never lies? I can depend on him 100% of the time. Hebrews 9.9, which was a figure for the time then present in which we offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscious. Now, we can do all the good things we want to, but those good things will not justify you. You're not justified because you're kind. Now hear me, we ought to be kind because we've been justified. You're not justified because you helped somebody else out who had a flat tire. You ought to help somebody out with a flat tire because you've already been justified. And what the new covenant has done, it kind of flipped the old covenant upside down. Because under the old, it was performance-oriented. Under the new, it's grace-oriented. It's mercy-oriented. Man's goodness falls far, far short of perfection. Bible said there's none good, there's none righteous, no, not one. And I say all of our, all of our goodness all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Only one can make the perfect sacrifice. Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for, his, for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear the, their iniquity. Again, who's Isaiah pointing to? The coming Messiah. And Isaiah is pointing out the only way to satisfy a holy God is through the Son. When Jesus offered that sacrifice, that and that alone satisfied the Father. I, I, I want to try to help you with something. You can never, ever disappoint God because he's already satisfied. You say, well, preacher, I did some things this week I shouldn't have done. That disappointed God. No, that, didn't, that did not disappoint God. You think God didn't already know that? You think maybe that's not why he sent his son? You think that his blood doesn't cover that sin you commit tomorrow? Listen, why does Jesus' blood cover my past sins and my present sins and my future sins? Because God already knows I'm going to do it. And we're going to see in Hebrews as we get into it, Father, that if my sin tomorrow would cause me to lose my salvation, Jesus would have to come die all over again for me to be saved. But it was a one-time sacrifice. We're going to stop there. But as we go through this next week,
on, on the, being perfect. When you look at yourself, start looking at yourself through the eyes of Scripture. See, when you look in the mirror, you see what God sees. When I look in the mirror so often, I see sinful flesh. God, seems, God sees a redeemed child. And we've got to start looking at ourselves like God looks at us so that we can live a victorious life and not live a life that's a constant struggle to do the right thing. When we get these, I believe if we can get this right on this perfection stuff, I believe doing the right thing will become a natural thing because we won't be so much worried about doing the wrong thing. When we're worried about doing the wrong thing, we're not focusing on the right thing. We need to stay focused on the right thing. And so, Father, we thank you for those who've been honest today. I pray that you will help them understand whose they are and how you have done a complete finished work and how we don't see the the end that you see. And then in Christ, we've been made perfect. And we'll see next week, Father, about entering into that throne room and how you receive us into that room because of what's been given to us through Christ. Have your way now, Father, in this time of uh, communion with one another. I pray, Father, that We'll take time to honor you and remember what Christ has done in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.